I woke up this morning with a normal feeling for me. It felt like sadness, but more like hunger than anything else. The closest word for it is empty. Whatever the feeling was, I wanted it to go away. Within an hour of waking up, this feeling's usually gone. Coffee can do it, catching up on sports, and by the time I check my email, I'm good. At least I'm full for the present. The feeling, whatever it was, is gone. But quite easily, I slip back into the emptiness. If not the next hour, the next day. Technology gives me the quickest, most instantly gratifying fill. That's why I like social media. All I really need is one like on Instagram, and I'm golden. Facebook can do it too, as long as it's about me. And I look on Twitter to get my sarcasm fill for the day. It doesn't really take much, but it doesn't really last long either. If social media doesn't do it, music always fills me up, especially when I'm driving. I got my tunes, the open road, and I can listen to whatever I want. I rock the same songs over and over again. I was empty. Now I'm filled. I have millions of ways to fill up. I didn't even mention TV, movies, or beach vacations, alcohol, cars, home improvements, accolades at work. Whatever I want, I can have it. With the touch of a button or the drop of a hat, the world is at my fingertips. I can fill myself with whatever I want, cash pending. All I have to do is convince myself that it's good to eat and desirable for food. Then it's just a matter of plucking my choice fruit from the tree. No wonder I don't need God to be filled. I'm already full. Got a question for you today. What is the uh, purpose of an umbrella? Stay dry. Stay dry? Okay. When, when an umbrella is working right, and I'm going to go against all the little you know, traditions and all that stuff, you push a button, and it extends, and it offers protection. Now, I've got a fundamental question about how, uh, how an umbrella works. To whom does this umbrella offer protection? The one under it, or we'll say it this way, only the one who would subject themselves to the authority of this umbrella gets the protection of the umbrella. Y'all can already feel a sermon busting out, can't you? All right? Now, some people would say, I don't believe in umbrella. Now, you can, you can spot these people a mile away because you go to the movie theater after one of these powerful East Texas thunderstorms, and you can, you can see which ones believe in umbrella and which ones don't, right? So the ones who don't believe in umbrella, they are, their hair's messed up, they're wet, and, and it's always freezing in the movie theater, according to my wife. She takes a blanket, whether it's cold, hot, whatever. She always takes a blanket or jacket or something. So the people who are shivering and wet and their hair's messed up, they don't believe in umbrella. 
But you can also tell the people who believe in umbrella, right? They're, they look much better. Now, they're a little bit wet because after all, they went through the same storm. But because they subjected themselves to the umbrella, they were protected. Now, we're going to start a new series today called Authority Issues. And we're going to talk about God has an authority structure. And, and God wants us to be under the authority under the umbrella of his authority. And so you may ask, well, what is God's authority? Well, God's authority is the word of God. What is the word of God? Well, that's the Bible. Uh, the, the Bible, whenever, God's, whenever the Bible speaks, God speaks because the Bible is the word of God. In fact, that's what the Bible calls itself more than any other phrase. The most used phrase in all of the Bible is the word of God. In the first five books of the Old Testament, who wrote those? One guy. Moses. First five books of the Old Testament, it's used 500 times, the word of God. In the prophets, that's the guys, you know, Amos and Isaiah and Jeremiah, the guys who are prophets, it's used a thousand times in the prophets. Over 4,000 times in the Old Testament, it it talks about the word of God. And then just kind of some icing on the cake, in the New Testament, um, it mentions the word of God 44 times. So let's figure what this means. The word of God equals the authority of God. Now, I know you got little bitty blanks on your listening guide. And if you have U version, you got regular size blanks. By the way, how many of you have a smartphone? It is legal to use your smartphones to log on to uversion.com. If you don't have an account with them, you can set that up. And every week we have our uh, listening guide on there. And you can, that's what Donald did. Where are you, Donnie? Did you read it off of U version? That's what he's calling his pocket Bible when he, when he read the verses a while ago. It's off of you version. And, and I'll just tell you this, that you can, you can download a couple of versions. Used to, you had to be someplace where they had Wi-Fi. We do have that here. Um, but you don't even have to have Wi-Fi now to get the, the Bible because you can, translate sev- uh, you can download several translations to your uh, smartphone and you can have the Bible anywhere, anytime. So anyway, we'll talk more about that in just a minute. So the word of God equals the authority of God. God wants us to live under the authority of his word, but is that what's happening in our country? As you look around, are the majority of the people you know saying, man, I've got to consult scripture before I make any decisions? Is that what's happening? No. Um, What I've discovered is people tend to have one of three responses to the Bible. First response, some people deny the Bible. I don't want anyone telling me what to do. I want to be in control. I want to call the shots. Well, you see the problem with this, don't you? This person has eye trouble. Somebody spell the three-letter word sin for me. S-I-N. What is the middle letter of that word? I. This person, the person who denies the Bible, says, I want to be on the throne of my life. And, And really, it's a pride issue. They don't want anyone telling them what to do, but here's the problem. If they ever acknowledge the scripture, they're going to see that they have issues. But, but I'll tell you a secret. Everybody already knows they have issues. They're just not willing to admit it yet. And, and I honestly think that the deniers population, the anti-umbrellites, these people are growing in our population. Anti-umbrellites are everywhere. Number two, there's a second reaction to the Bible. Some people distort the Bible. Now, this is what happened with Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, They have taken some obscure things from the Bible, taken them out of context, and made a whole religious system out of them. For example, Charles Taze Russell was the one who started the Jehovah's Witness organization. 
He was 18 years old. He was teaching a Bible study. He got to the concept of hell. He didn't like the concept of hell. So he began to rewrite the scripture the way he wanted it. And it doesn't contain hell. Now, the strange thing to me is the source of both heaven and hell is Jesus Christ. The source of, of, of most of our understanding of heaven and hell is Jesus Christ himself. So this guy says, well, I like what Jesus says about heaven. I don't like what he says about hell. I'm going to just do this whole new religion and leave hell out. So some people just distort the Bible. And there's a third reaction. Some folks disregard the Bible. And honestly, that's where I think most people are, is disregarding the Bible. Or at least they disregard the parts that they don't like. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, there's, there's all kinds of translations of the Bible out there. There's the King James Version. There's the New King James Version. There's New American Standard. There's the New Century Version, the New Living Translation. There's all these different... In fact, if you go on version, there are 38 English versions that you can choose from, whichever one you like. I tend to read a lot out of the NL, uh, New Living Translation. Sometimes I use the NIV. Sometimes I use New Century Version. But I like to read out of those because they're very modern translations and, and it's very easy to understand. That's what I use a lot of times. But you may have also noticed that there's usually a your version, not you version, a your version and my version of the scripture, right? It kind of goes like this. And in, in that version, we tend to edit out the things we don't like. Bible says, don't commit adultery. Oh, well, I, I don't like that restriction. So I'm just going to ignore it. Um, when it says submit to authority, oh, please, I am in charge. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. 10% of my income, no way. Love my wife as Christ loved the church, nope, not going to do that. Uh, don't overeat, love your neighbor as yourself, nope, 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 nope. We edit the Bible because we don't like what God has to say. We disregard portions of Scripture because we just don't like it. But let me, let me give you a caution. Disregard the Scripture at your own risk because when you disregard God's Word, you will have an incomplete life. Because you'll have an incomplete faith. And if you deny or distort or disregard portions of the Bible, you are stepping out from underneath the authority of God. And God offers no protection for people, Christians or non-Christians, who are out here, outside of his authority. Blessing comes under his authority. Blessing comes after obeying the word of God. Never before. And, and let me just say this. Every one of you listening to me today, you were custom designed by God to lead something. But you will never be over the things that God wants you to be over until you're under the things that God wants you to be under. God wants you to be under the authority of his, God, of his word so that he can then put you over in authority his plan for your life. If he's real, if he's the God of the Bible, then he has a plan for you and he wants to give that plan to you, but he won't give you the plan. He won't give you the blessing until you're under the authority of God's word. Now today I want to discover the Bible for what it really is. And, and if we're honest, gut level honest, we try to be real honest here. If we're gut level honest today, we'd have to say that most people in this room don't read the Bible very much. And there's all kinds of re reasons why I'm too busy, I don't understand it, don't think it matters. Or some people think, well, God's just like me, but he's got a cool, couple of cool supernatural features added in. Let me tell you something. God was not created in your image. We were created in God's image, and sin has distorted that image. And if we want to be who God wants us to be, we've got to conform 
to his image and to what he's revealed to us in scripture. The Bible very clearly tells us who God is. So I want to, I want to spend the rest of this time understanding the best-selling book of all time so we can better understand the message that it gives us about God. So let's look at, there's four things I want you to realize about the Bible. What is the Bible? Number one, the Bible is a letter. There are 39 letters in the Old Testament and 39 letters in the New Testament. Now, now we call them books of the Bible, 66 books of the Bible, but in reality, they're letters. They're love letters to you. It's a book of affirmation. It's a book of how much God loves you. Now, um, (laughs) I have every love letter that Janie has ever written to me. Yeah, isn't that sweet? Um, And I still read them from time to time. Every card that she's ever written, you know, the back of her registration card, I have a stack in my office, and sometimes when, you know, I'm kind of getting down or whatever, I'll pull it out because, why do I keep them? Because somebody loves me. Somebody thinks I'm handsome and smart and funny, and that's cool to me, right? I know you can't understand that, that somebody thinks all those things about me, but someone does, and I don't care whether you do or not, because she does. Well, I want you to know that God feels the exact same way about you. He thinks you're handsome or beautiful, smart, funny, that you're awesome. And and you can bet that he has a picture of you on his refrigerator, if they have refrigerators in heaven. Um, I want you to see what the Bible says to you from Jeremiah 31, 3. It says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With an unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. When I first noticed Janie, these big blue eyes... Those lips. I pursued her. And she liked being pursued by me. And that made us act kind of funny and feel kind of funny and do weird things around each other, you know, that type of deal. And, and we, we did not live in the same city. We lived three hours apart. And so um, I'm, I'm going to have to speak slowly for our teenagers and below today because I'm going to tell you how we communicated before cell phones, before computers, before pagers and all that stuff there were these things called envelopes and you would take a piece of paper and you would actually write things down on them about how I love your beautiful eyes and I can't wait to to hold you in my arms. And it it actually took a little bit of time. And then here's the weird thing. We only had landlines. And so you had to be stuck to a specific location to make a phone call. Janie was in college, and I was a full-time youth minister and uh, three hours away. And so um, if, if, if I wanted to call her, I could call, but it, there was no guarantee that she would be in her apartment on the other end. Or if she was to call me, I was living in a house. There was no guarantee that anybody would be there. How did we survive? <laughs> oh, M goodness. I have to put that in there so you understand. Oh, M goodness. How did we survive? Well, we survived by writing letters. And, and I would go to the mailbox and, and I, you know, I get all those letters addressed to me that want my money, you know, all of the bills and stuff. And I didn't care about those. But when I saw a letter from Janie, I could not wait to open it and I would read it and I'd put it down and I'd do something else and I'd come back and I'd read it again and I'd put it down. And before I go to bed that night, I'd read it again. And then I'd try to call her and if she wasn't there. I'd read it again, you know, that type of thing, because she wrote me this letter. The Bible calls God a pursuing lover but most people don't know that. You want to know why? Because they've never heard God tell them, I love you. And, and, you know, I've, I've been a a minister for almost 30 years now. And, and I've, I've asked this question of a number of people, teenagers, adults alike. 
And, and I've asked it this way because I've tried to reach people who are far from God. And I've said, okay, if God exists, if there's a God that the Bible, like the Bible describes, and if he exists, how many of you would like to know his opinion on your life? If there really is a God, how many would you? Nobody's ever said, nope, don't want to know. Because even, even atheists will go, well, if there is a God, sure, I'd like to know what he has to say. But most people, I've never heard people say, no, I don't want to know what God says. But most people say, I'd really like to hear God speak to me. I wish God would speak to me. Well, he has. It's in the Bible. It's written down. We just don't spend time reading it. And so what I want you to realize is the best-selling book of all time is a collection of letters written to you. And I want you to think about this love letter thing as we play this video, this music video. It's, it's uh, Mercy Me, Word of God Speak, one of my favorite songs. Just want you to think about the message of God's word that he's written straight to you. Watch this and enjoy. I like that song because sometimes I get so caught up in telling God what I need of him that I forget to listen to what he wants and needs of me. Uh, the reason I was designed. And, and see, I want you to think about, there's 168 hours in every week. And I want to ask you, how much time do you spend reading God's love letter to you, the word of God? And we'll give you credit for being here. That's an hour. And, and we don't spend the whole hour, you know, reading scripture. We, we have songs and videos and things like that. So we'll give you an hour. But there's another 167 hours every week. And what do you spend the majority of your time doing during those 167 hours? Um, work, TV, internet, video games, sleeping, eating, hang out with friends, family, recreation. If the people at your work aren't under the authority of God, if the songs that you listen to the, the writers of those songs and the singers of those songs aren't under God's authority, if the TV shows that you watch, if the places that you go and hang out, if they're not under the authority of God, who is, who is having the most influence in your life? The one hour that you spend with God or the 167 hours that you spend away from God? Who's influencing you more? Those who are not under the authority of God. And it just doesn't seem very wise to me. God has written you this love letter and it contains instructions on how to do life. And the reason you and I mess up our lives is when we make decisions that go contrary to God's word because God will never tell you to do something that's contrary to his word, ever. A lot of people say, well, I just don't know God's will. And I say, have you read the scripture? No. Have you consulted anyone else who knows the scripture? No. But I just feel like this is the right thing to do. Have you ever gotten in trouble following your feelings? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, yeah. That's kind of foolish. The Bible is not that difficult. It has one villain, Satan. It has one hero, Jesus Christ. It has one message, Jesus saves. The Bible tells me who I am, what I am, and what I can become. Can you imagine the potential impact that the Bible would have if we would just read it and begin to understand and follow it? God didn't give us the Bible to inform us. God gave us the Bible to transform us. The purpose of you reading the Bible is not to get you into the Bible. It's to get the Bible into you so that God might have the opportunity to speak to your heart and change you from the inside out. So the Bible is this collection of letters, and we need to, we need to spend time under its authority. Number two, the Bible is light. 
The Bible is light. Psalm 119, 105, one of the first uh, verses that I ever memorized years ago. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. So the Bible is light is about direction for your life. It's about which way you're supposed to go. Psalm 119, 130 says, as your words are taught, they give light. Even the simple can understand them. I love that because what I get so much is I just can't understand the Bible. Stop reading the King James Version. I remember as a kid, all the these and the thous and the verilies. Verily, verily, I say unto thee. Huh? Sounds like some of that stuff I read in college. That English junk that I read in college. I hated that class. I got a good grade, but I hated the class because I just played the game. They'd say, what does this mean? Oh, I think I just was bulling. I didn't know what it meant. And I got good grades. Like, cool. I still don't know what it means, but I got a good grade. So it gives you light to help you understand where you're supposed to go next. When, when the lights go out in your house, where do you go? I have a flashlight, and I feel along for my flashlight. Now, my kids are older, and now they sleep with their doors closed. But, man, when they were little and the lights would go out, Daddy! And they are, they're petrified, and they're, just, they're nailed to their beds. And I would get the flashlight, and I would go find them. And then we would go to the laundry room because we have extra batteries and flashlights in there. And everybody would get their flashlight because, you know, if you've got to go do your business, you definitely want your own flashlight, that type of deal. And, and, and if it's really bad, I go out, and, and I get my Coleman lantern. This thing is awesome. I can't tell you how many times we have fired this up. I bought this back when I was in college because I just, we did a lot of fishing and all that stuff. And this was one of the very first electronic ignition Coleman lanterns. Everybody say, Ooh, yeah. Nowadays you got all kinds of cooler stuff, but I still have this thing and it has gotten us through many storms because if we're going to be without power for a long time, because we call, you know, and they'll, they'll give you an estimate, you will be without power for 18 days, you know, that type of thing. Nobody wants to stay in the dark if they don't have to. That's why I go get my lantern. I fire this thing up. And, and if you put it on my table or on my countertop at home, it actually gives light to several rooms because nobody wants to stay in the dark. And here's the problem with our society. The Bible says that sin entered through one man, Adam. But you and I are guilty, not because of Adam's sin. We're guilty because we have sinned. And sin darkens the minds of people. Sin completely blackens the minds of non-believers, and it darkens the minds of believers. And so nobody has to stay in the dark if they don't want to. Um, you, you have a choice about this. And so... When I have a flashlight or I have my lantern, when I go fishing or I go hunting, that's awesome because I like to have enough light to see where I'm going my next step when I'm out at my hunting lease because there's some strange stuff out there. One day, Caleb went from where I was down to his uh, stand and he saw a bobcat and dude's walking with no gun, no knife. He's in shorts and, and he texts me like, I am never coming out here without a gun again because, you know, that's kind of scary. You just, you feel unprepared. And when you're in the dark, Oh my goodness, stuff happens, and you. so I want a light. When you're in your car and you're driving down the road, do your headlights show you everything out there? No, it shows you just enough to keep going down the path, and that's what God wants. This is what we don't understand. God's word is called light. God gives you enough light so that you obey what he has given you, and he doesn't give you more light until you obey what he's already given you. The Bible is a letter, it's light. Third thing, the Bible is lunch. Jeremiah 15, 16 says this, Your words are what sustain me. They are food for, for, to my hungry soul. They bring joy to my sorrowing heart and they delight me. 
If you are dry spiritually, I can tell you, I believe it's because you're starving for the word of God. You You hadn't snacked on the word of God. Do you know why we have a sermon every week? Because we believe that the church is where the hungry come to get fed. Every week we want to feed you some nutritious spiritual sermon to try to help you apply that to your life. Now, how many of you know exactly what you ate three years ago this day? If you tell me you do, you're lying. All right? You don't know. I can't tell you last year what Janie fed me on this day but I can tell you that it was, it was a nur- a nourishing, it was nutritious, and it gave me the strength to make it through another day. That's what a sermon is designed to do, to help you. Like Donald said, it's a pep rally that we come, we get pumped up, we get fed on the Word of God, and then we're supposed to go do something with that. We want to be a diet and exercise church. If all you do is eat and you never exercise, what happens to you? You get fat. We don't want to be a bunch of fat Christians. And really, we know far more than we do spiritually. You want to grow as a Christian, you begin to serve in the kingdom of God. And your, your growth will, will move up exponentially. The deepest, most godly people I know are servants. Um, seven years ago, I, I went back and, and did the research on this. And, and she doesn't know I'm going to say this. And, and I think she's in here, but anyway... Seven years ago, there was a Pastor Appreciation Day at our church. And, you know, they do that in October. And so people were writing nice letters and cards and all that stuff. And I got this one from Danielle Maldonado. She said, bueno, short story for a long story. Um, I used to say, oh, bueno, anything was good, bueno. And so that's what they told their kids my name was. So for years, that's what they called me was bueno. And they called Janie Tia. I think they still call her Tia, which means aunt. So good and aunt, that's what they call us. So bueno, thank you so much for constantly giving to us and the church. Your passion for the church is contagious. Never, and she underlined that three times, never, un, never before have I loved and cared about the church as much as I do now. Thank you for constantly giving, giving even when no one else does or you feel that way. And then kind of a throwaway line here, and this is what I zeroed in on. She said, I'm also grateful for you letting me serve. I love what I do. Well, Alex and Danielle, you know, they had four kids and and they had all kinds of allergies and sickness and all this stuff. And so they stepped back for a few years and and just during that season of life. And they've stepped back in to uh, serving in our uh, three to five-year-old class. About four or five weeks ago, six weeks ago, they were sitting in here. They were sitting over on this side, and you know, I saw them in there, and, and, and I'm preaching. And, and a couple of days later, I get this email from Danielle, and she said, Hey, I want you to know God spoke to me through you Sunday. I needed to hear that message. Thank you for being obedient, letting God use you. And so I sent back, and I said, Hey, I, I'm always excited when, people, when God speaks to people. And I said, By the way, thank you for serving. You're awesome at what you do. Then I got another email back, and she said, Thank you for letting me serve. I love those kids. You want to get deeper in the Christian life than you get off your posterior (laughs) and serve. It doesn't happen by sitting and soaking. And and I just want you to to realize that, that if anybody ever asks you what kind of church New Life Community Church is, here's the answer. We're a Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, people-serving church. Got that? Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, people-serving church. Whatever order you want to, I don't care. We want to have people serving because as you serve, you grow up, you get wise, and people begin to ask you, 
how your life works like that. And let me tell you what wise people do. They go to the scripture. Proverbs 28, 26 says, a man is a fool to trust himself. Anybody here just want to stand up and celebrate that you're a fool? Let me see your hand right now. We got one. All right. That's John. Hi, John. Just met him this morning. Don't know anything about you, but, but he's being honest, right? And, and I would never, I, I would never, I didn't expect anybody to answer, honestly, dude. So, so like you blew my mind. Um, all of us here have done some foolish things, right? But we don't want that to be what the, the descripting, descriptive term about our life is. That we're a fool. Anybody want that your whole life? You want that to be on your, your uh, gravestone, your headstone. Fool. Anybody want that? No. So look what the Bible says. But those who use God's wisdom are safe. See, I can choose whichever way I want to go. And, and how many of you, let me ask you this question. I think I'll get a lot more answers to this one. How many of you like buffets? I love buffets because I can customize my plate. I don't have to eat what comes out the kitchen. And by the way, Janie does this sometimes. She'll, she'll, she's a great cook, but sometimes the family rebels against what she's cooked. And she gets mad. You know, I try to eat. I don't care what the kids do. I'm going to eat it. Rachel's pretty good about that. Caleb and, and Hannah, they're not so good about eating just whatever Janie puts out there. But when we go to a buffet, everybody gets to choose what they want. That's what people do in churches. They try to take the good stuff from God and, and leave out the stuff we don't like. I love grace and peace. I don't like judgment. And so we try to get rid of that. And, and the Bible says we can't. God says you take it all or you take nothing. He's given us 66 love letters so that we might have a balanced diet. And, and I'm going to talk to you in just a minute about a challenge we're going to have for our church over the summer. We're going to have our own summer reading program where we're going to try to read uh, major chapters from the first 10 books of the Bible over the next uh, 12 weeks. And I'll talk to you about that in just a second. So the Bible is a letter, it's light, it's lunch, and last, it's life. Deuteronomy 32, 45 through 47. Would you put that up there? This was added, so it's not on, uh, uh, if you're doing you version, it's not on there. When Moses finished reciting all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your what? They were about to go into the promised land and Moses is, is rehearsing for them all the things that God has done. They've just sung this song of praise and worship to God. And, and Moses says, don't you dare disregard these words that I've just given to you today. They're not idle words. They're your life. And God wants us to realize that his word gives us life. Look at Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is full of living power. It is sharper than the sharpest knife, cutting deep into our innermost thoughts and desires. It exposes us for what we are. Why would the Bible need to expose us for what we are? Because we're a bunch of stinking liars. We put on these masks and try to to pretend that everything's good when it's not. When in reality, you know, somebody says, how you doing? Oh, I'm great. Liar. How's your week been? It's been awesome. Liar. There's been some stuff that we don't want to tell people about because we want people to think we've got it all together. Bible says that God's word will do some serious surgery on you. Um, most of you know that, that Hannah, or I guess a lot of you know that Hannah had uh, her appendix ruptured this week. 
And so it was a big deal, and we didn't know how big a deal until afterwards, and the doctor said this could have killed her because it was, it was infected all down in her abdomen. And, and uh, I didn't know what the word septic meant until uh, a few years ago when Mandy Pence actually died at, at, at Palestine Regional Medical Center, and she was shocked back to life. Ryan walks in, and she's being shocked back to life. And that's when I learned what septic was. Septic is when there's so much... Um, infection in your blood that it begins to shut down your organs in your body. And, and that's what can happen with uh, a ruptured appendix. And we didn't realize all this, but he went in and, and he cleansed it out. And, and the reason I have this blood pressure cuff up here is because they did that all the time. They just kept coming in, checking Hannah's blood pressure. And, and that's just a, it's a preliminary test that shows you that maybe something's going on. And they drew blood from her all the time. You want to know why? The scripture tells you why, because there's life in the blood. And, and so We've got to be real careful um, about how we do our lives, how we either ignore or accept the word of God and how we obey the word of God because there's life in the blood of Jesus Christ that extends beyond this world into the next world. And, and when you say that you're a follower of Christ, that, just not, that doesn't just mean for heaven. This isn't fire insurance. A follower of Christ means I am sold out to Christ. The, there's been this, this kind of dichotomy in the church about I accept Jesus as my Savior, but I don't accept him as my Lord. There's no such thing in Scripture. You accept him as Lord, which means boss, and he saves you because of that. So there's no separation of the two. If you want to be um, a member of God's family, you say, God, I'm a sinner, and I, I bow to Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was raised after the third day, never to die again. I follow him. There's life in God's word. There's life in the blood. Now, God sets up authority in our lives to protect us. That's the whole purpose of authority is to protect us. Um, and if you want to be in the blessed place, you got to be under God's authority. And folks all the time, they'll whine and complain, well, God never answers my prayers. And most of the time, now you do your own self-examination here. Most of the time when people are saying, God's not answering my prayer because God answers every prayer one of three ways. Yes, no, or not yet. If God's not answering your prayers, most of the time it's because you're outside the will of God. You're living openly in sin and rebellion, and God is not obligated to answer your prayers when you're openly in sin and rebellion. If we confess our sin and move back under his authority, that's when God does some major things. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true, to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. The communication of God's word is the highest priority in our church. And that's why we have church in the first place. We're going to tap into God's word. And here's my challenge to you. And this is something that I want you to respond to on your uh, registration cards today. Over the next 90 days or 100, yeah, no, 120 days. We're, uh, so the summer, we're going to have this reading plan. And if you have a smartphone and if you have you version, I want you to pull that up real quick. And I want to show you what we're going to do. We're going to, there is a reading plan on here. If you go to you version and then you go to um, the little, uh, come on, come on, smartphone. If you go to plans, in plans, there's a list of things. And then, then I want you to look over there and you'll find partial Bible reading. And what that means is we're going to read parts of the Bible over the next uh, three months. And the one that I want to challenge you to do is Bible Survey Part 1. Now, here's what the description of Bible Survey Part 1. Um, it's, it's, part, it's part one of a 365-day plan, but what you're going to do is you're going to read 
important chapters from different books of the Bible. So like you're going to read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and then you're going to skip to Genesis 12, and then he's going to tell you in the devotional part, he's going to tell you why you skipped. Well, in that time, this is what happened, and here's why we're coming to chapter 12. We're going to read significant chapters from the first 10 books of the Bible, which means that we'll get through 2 Samuel by the end of summer. Um, the, the last Sunday of August, we will finish this plan. Now, the way this works is it's five days of the week. So Monday through Friday, you're going to have a reading. If you get behind, you're not going to have readings next Saturday and Sunday. You can catch up on those readings, or you can go ahead. At the end of the summer, if you want to continue, then you, you're going to do Bible survey part two, and you're just going to continue to feed on God's word. What I want you to do is I want you not only to read it, to commit to doing it, but I want you to talk to family members, friends about what you're discovering. Pretty interesting stuff. And here's the thing. This is what I really like about... That was, that was not planned. Here's what I really like about version. Now, if, when you're downloading a version of Scripture, if you see a little speaker on the left-hand side, then it will read to you. And I just decided to try this out yesterday. I was going to Walmart, and so I said, read, you know, and so it was Genesis chapter 2, and it read Genesis chapter 2 to me. And it took me, some of y'all know that I live less than a mile from Walmart. By the time I drove from my driveway to Walmart, it had read to me Genesis chapter 2. So today I just decided to sit in my chair and do it. And so Genesis chapter 3, I pushed a little thing, it reads to me. So if you're driving in the car, there's no reason not to be listening to the Word of God. That's the whole point of this. So if you're willing to respond to that, then I want you to put that on your card. And, and we'll talk more in the weeks ahead about how you can get more out of the Scripture, how you can dig in, how you can become uh, more mature spiritually.